Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with your host, Amy Irvine. For those of you that are new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you that have come and come back, we so appreciate you tuning back in every week. This week, we're gonna be digging into credit scores and credit score factors, as well as the dreaded student loans. So many people have been on that journey and we wanna walk you through some of the confusing language around that. But before we get started, the winery this week that we'd like to feature is called Fox Run. We recently had an advisory board meeting and the wines that we shared with them as an appreciation gift was from Fox Run. Now, as many of you know, I'm not a huge white fan, um, so I, I really had a hard time commenting too much on it. Number one, because the Chardonnay that we drank was actually steel, steel barrel aged, which is not my favorite, but it was okay. For you, those of you that like a minerally kind of wine, uh, Chardonnay wine, great probably option for you. But what I did really like was they had a red blend that was actually 50% Cab Franc and 50% Lemberger right up my alley. And one of the really cool things about this set was that they all came in cans. So each of us had about two glasses of wine out of each can, which means that we were able to share it very comfortably with our spouses and enjoyed the opportunity to get to know a little bit more about Fox Run. So if you're interested in a new winery, one that I haven't brought up a ton, hop on over to Fox Run, go out to their website, explore a little bit, have something shipped to you and try it for yourself. Okay, digging into the hot topic of credit scores, credit score factors, and student loans. I know these are favorite topics of many of our listeners as we get questions from time to time on these topics particularly. So let's dig in first to the credit score factors. If you happen to log into things like Credit Karma, um, you may notice that there's two different reporting agencies that show up there and you can have vastly different scores uh, for each of those. You also have probably heard of what's called a FICO score, which is different than when you're out on that website 
Credit Karma and looking at your your score. So each company has their own little process of coming up with how your credit score is calculated. But what I'm going to go through is the typical factors, okay? So let's start with the, the five top factors for coming up with your credit score. Number one is payment history. That's probably the top one because it accounts for 35% of your score. So pay attention to it. It details your track record of paying back your debts on time. The components encompass your payments of credit cards, retail accounts, installment loans, such as auto and student loans, finance company accounts, and mortgages, public records and reports detailing such items as bankruptcy, foreclosure, lawsuits, liens, judgments, and wage attachments are also considered. A history of prompt payments of at least the minimum amount due helps your credit score significantly. Late or missed payments hurt your score enormously. Now, note that I mentioned not just traditional lenders um, in there. I mentioned medical and all can impact your credit score. So it's important to make sure that missing medical bills, even things like your library fines or speeding tickets can hack your, your credit score and knock you down a bit. Second thing that you might want to pay attention to or should pay attention to, in our opinion, to is what's called credit utilization and the amount that you owe. Credit utilization reveals how deeply in debt you are and contributes to determining if you can handle what you owe. If you have high outstanding balances or are nearly maxed out on your credit cards, your credit score will be negatively affected. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you say to me, but I pay my credit cards off every single month, the problem is when they report that information to the credit reporting agencies, they don't take that into consideration. They're saying that you utilize your credit limit to the max or close to it. So what we recommend is if you are one of those people that only has one credit card or maybe two, and you utilize it for points, so you put a lot on there and you max it out because of that, but you end up paying it off every month, go in on a weekly or a biweekly basis and pay that credit down, credit card down. That way you're lowering the amount that you owe on that credit card. Now, what we say or what we recommend and certainly what takes into consideration your credit score is that a good rule of thumb is not to exceed 30% of the credit limit overall, so the total utilization, as well as the credit limit on each credit card. So paying down an installment loan is looked upon favorably as well. For example, if you borrowed $20,000 to buy a car and have paid $5,000 of it on time, even though you still owe the $15,000, your payment to date demonstrates reasonable debt management and it'll help your credit report. So those are two things under credit utilization that are very important. Of course, these amounts are compared to your income and, and ratios as well. So if you're thinking about borrowing money for something in particular, you really want to make sure that your total debt to income and to calculate that like you take your monthly minimum payments 
and divide it by your total income for the month. If that's more than 36%, then most lenders are pretty skeptical. And for a mortgage, you want it under 28%. Because think about it, if you are looking to borrow money and you're already capped out at 36%, plus you have taxes, which usually come in around 30%, that really does utilize a fair portion of your income. So like I said, if you're capped out at 36 and you're paying taxes of 30%, that's 66% of your money is already being utilized, which only gives you about 34% to be able to use on things like food and electric utilities, that kind of thing. So the third credit score factor is the length of credit history. This is why we tell you often not to cancel your long-term credit cards because it increases your credit history. Even if you're not using it anymore, maybe just once a year put something on that, but keep that credit history growing. So the longer you have credit, the better it is. And that accounts for about 15%. So still a pretty significant portion of your credit score. So again, this is looking at the longer the history of reasonable credit management, the better your score will be. Lenders have an opportunity to see your repayment pattern. So if you have an average history of 15 or 20 years, that's going to show them a long-term positive credit history and repayment pattern, and that's going to rate your credit score higher. If you have paid on time every time, this will look particularly good. The fourth area is the credit type, which includes the mix of your credit. So this includes credit cards, retail accounts, installment loans, finance company accounts, and mortgage loans. You do not have to have each type of account, but the factors include the various credit types that you have and how you use credit appropriately. For example, using a credit card to purchase a boat would actually hurt your credit score. It would be better to have like a personal loan or a boat loan instead. And we've actually heard that from people before that let's suppose they pay off a different kind of credit. So maybe it's a car loan or something. And temporarily, their credit score actually goes down even though they paid that loan off. But that's because they've just dropped the diversity of the type of credit and an account closed probably. So that shortened the credit history potentially. So that's the fourth type of credit and that equates to about 10% of your credit score. And then finally is new inquiries. So if you are out there um, getting new hard pulls on your credit report, that's going to lower your credit score and it equates for about 10% of your credit score. Um, And because what it's saying to people is that you are out there asking for more credit and that could make you a little bit riskier. Each time you apply for a new line of credit, the application counts as a hard inquiry and and it's a hard hit and it lasts on your credit report for about two years. When you rate shop for a mortgage, just as a point of interest that most people maybe don't know, but when you rate shop for a mortgage or a car loan, there may be multiple inquiries. However, because you're looking for only one loan, inquiries within this 
sort of 14 day short period only count as a single hard hit. By contrast, applying for numerous credit cards in a short period of time will count as multiple hard hits and potentially lower your credit score. Also, just so you know, soft hits, including your own personal requests for a credit report or requests for pre-approved credit offers, and those coming from employers do not affect your credit score. Note another important factor on loans and rates are your debt-to-debt ratios, as I mentioned earlier. That doesn't impact your credit score, but your ability to get credit. So I kind of threw it in there as a side note, but I didn't want you to think that it actually affects your credit score, but it still, you may have a great credit score, but as your lenders are looking at your total debt to income, um, if you add up all those total monthly payments and divide it by your total gross monthly income, if that ratio is over 36%, it may they may consider you too risky to approve you on a loan. So you can have a great credit score, but still have some issues around getting credit if you have too much outstanding. I hope that was very helpful in understanding what your credit score is composed of or how it's how it's composed. The other thing I wanted to talk to everybody about is student loans. So let's dive into that topic next. Unfortunately, this country has about $1.6 trillion of outstanding student loans, and uh, many of them have been on pause for over a year at this point in time, a little over a year. But according to the last extension, people are going to have to start repaying those student loans relatively soon, starting in September. We have no idea what the Biden administration is ultimately going to do around student loan forgiveness or extending that moratorium and paying those student loans at this point in time. Our goal today is to talk about the type of student loans and some of the programs that are available to you. And we actually have provided you with a checklist in the show notes that goes through what to consider when paying off student loans, some of the different programs, talks a little bit about maybe consolidation and even some tax issues uh, that might be of interest to you under forgiveness programs. Let's start with the types of student loans. First of all, you have two types of student loans. You have government loans and private loans, or predominantly, I should say, two types of student loans, government loans and private loans. Under the government loan heading, and I'm going to talk about the the top four that you might be familiar with, they're subsidized and unsubsidized. Those are generally used for undergraduate education. Subsidized means the government makes the payment of the interest while you're in school, and unsubsidized means that the interest payment accrues while you're in school. Then you have a plus loan uh, for graduate school, and that's something that if you're in grad school and you need the variance and you've used up all of your undergrad loans, um, then that would be the type of loan that you'd be able to take out. And then another type of plus loan is a parent loan. Now, there's a significant difference between the interest rates on many of those loans and a direct uh, subsidized and unsubsidized loan right now going into the 2021-2022 year is 3.734%. That's what you will pay on those loans. And then a direct plus loan for parents is 6.284%. 
Also for those parent loans, one thing that you should know about is that there's, uh, well, all of the loans have sort of an upfront fee that you have to pay for to an origination fee they, they talk about. And you should be aware of that just so you know that the full amount of the loan that you apply for won't actually go to school. There is a difference uh, due to that origination amount. So you should just be aware of it. Uh, the other thing that we want people to know about is what's called private loans. Now, the benefit of a private loan is usually that the interest rate is a little bit lower, um, but our recommendation generally is to use the government loans as, as you can, because look at the situation we're in right now. If you have a private loan, your loan didn't go into deferment during this period of time that everybody else's did. And you also aren't eligible for any of the public service loan forgiveness or forgiveness programs that are out there. There's also no disability clauses or death policies or clauses on many of the private loans. So you kind of have to know that going into it. And one once you go private, you can't go back to government. So we usually say, keep your options open by taking out the government loans. And then we can always move them into the private sector and refinance them. In fact, multiple times refinance them if we want to once, once that's happened. The type of uh, public loan service providers that are out there, the type of government loan service providers are out there, you might be familiar with, are called Nelnet, Great Lakes Educational Services, Naviant, Fed Loan Servicing are probably the top four that people know. One thing about Fed Loan Servicing, if you are in a public service loan forgiveness program, that is where your loan should be held. So if you think you're in a forgiveness program, program and you're not under Fed loan servicing, you may still be eligible for forgiveness, but you're not in the right program right now and you need to make that change. And before you do that, you want to do some history and research to figure out what's been going on as to why you're not in the program. Because if you make some changes, that could reset the clock, which would be devastating to you. I mean, you, you need to be with Fed loan servicing if you're going to get student loan forgiveness. We just need to do research before you do any action. Uh, private loan lenders could be your local bank, um, Sally Mae. They can be higher interest rates. Sometimes they can be lower interest rates. There is very few options for loan forgiveness, and many people will use a family loan or a home equity loan sometimes instead. Once you get into the refinancing side of it, too, some uh, common companies are SoFi, Credible, Common Bond. Those are probably the top ones that we hear about. Uh, so once you have to either consolidate or refinance uh, your student loan into the private sector, then those would generally be the companies that you might be familiar with to do that. Let's scoot on over to talk about the government repayment type. So basically, if you have a government loan, remember subsidized, unsubsidized, graduate plus or parent plus, then you have a couple different repayment options. One of them is called the standard repayment option, and that's a 10 year. It's gonna be the least expensive if there's no forgiveness. It's usually about 1% of the beginning balance of the loan. So if your loan is around $30,000, then it would equal to about $300 per month. That would be your standard payment. Then there's something called a graduated payment type. Graduated payment type starts low, but increases every two years. And it generally will go 10 years years in total. So towards the end of the 10 years, it could be much larger, but in some cases it could go all the way up to 30 years if you do some consolidation of those government loans. 
extended payment retire that actually allows you go to go up all the way to 25 years and and generally we'll spread that payment out over that period of time so for some people that might be an option for them but we would first want to check in to see if the income driven repayment options would be better if you're going to have to make the payments that over that long period of time and under income driven repayment there's four different programs one is called income based repayment or IBR as we call it. Another one is called pay as you earn, is which we call pay. And then there's revised pay as you earn, which we call repay. And then the final one is called income contingent repayment, which is ICR. ICR is the only program that is available to the um, parent plus loans, just as an FYI. And then for all of those, you could do some consolidation. There are pros and cons to that. It's the average interest rates that is used. So it's not like you're actually saving anything when you do the consolidation because the interest rate takes in that is created for consolidation is based on the average weighted interest rate of all those student loans that you have out there. So that's some people say, I'm going to consolidate to lower my interest rate. And that's actually not going to work for you. But there are benefits of making sure that you only have one or two payments that you're making. And one of the loans doesn't get missed or it doesn't get um, unproperly allocated or something like that. So but those are the different types of government loans and, and the payment types. Now, digging into those repayment types, especially with the income driven, and that's where I'm going to spend a few moments just chatting about that. And as I mentioned, we've uploaded something in the show notes for you to look at because they're not straightforward and they're not all equal. I mentioned uh, basically the um, income contingent repayment is for direct loans only and often is for is, is the only one that... Um, you would use for the plus loans, the parent plus loans. Um, So that is the one that you'd be looking at. And the monthly payment of discretionary income is 20%. You can, it can be discharged after 25 years. You can do married filing separate. And this is one that um, if you are a parent and you're in a job where you could get public service loan forgiveness, perhaps this program would work for you. The next type of uh, income-driven repayment is called income-based repayment. That is eligible for all direct student loans with a partial financial hardship is what they call it, which means that you need to request uh, you, you need to request lowering the type of uh, payment that you're making previously or that you can't make payments. So they're going to base it on your income. This is eligible for all direct and some of the old loans called FFL, FFEL loans. Um, Perkins loans and Parent Plus loans are ineligible for this type. It's 15% of your monthly discretionary income will go out to about 25 years. You can do married filing separately with this particular type of uh, um, income-driven repayment as well. Um, And that, again, if you're eligible for public service loan forgiveness, you wouldn't need to take it out to 25 years, but this is assuming that uh, there isn't... um, you're just making the payments to the maximum number of years. Then there's something, as I mentioned, called pay, which is pay as you earn. All direct student loan borrowers with no loans before October of 2007 and at least one loan taken out after September 30th, 2011 
are eligible and they have a partial hardship are eligible for this kind of loan. Now that's direct loans, FFEL only after consolidation and uh, parent and plus loans are not eligible for this. It's a 10% payment of discretionary income can go out to 20 years and it also allows for married filing separately. Now, the uh, next one would be called revised pay as you earn, or we call it repay, uh, very similar to the other pay requirement, all direct loans, uh, all direct student loan uh, borrowers are eligible for this one. And again, direct loans, FFEL, only after consolidation and no parent plus loans. This is 10% and it's discharged after 20 years for undergrad and 25 if it's graduate. The payment always calculated on household income. So this one doesn't allow married filing separately. You you have, it takes into consideration your entire household income. And um, the final type of income-driven repayment is called a new income-based repayment or new IBR. All new direct student loans borrowers after July of 2014, that could be direct and FFEL loans, Perkin loans after consolidated. And once again, no parent plus loans. That's 10% of your monthly payment, 20 per, twenty years of discharge. And that also allows married filing separate. Now, why do I keep asking or keep mentioning about married filing separate? Well, it's important because when you are making these student loan repayments, if you are the one who has a large number of student loans and your payment amounts are fairly significant, but your income is not there yet, then we have you do a married filing separate tax return so that it's based solely on your income. Now, there are states out there that we have to be cautious about, like California and some of those states, but for the most part, we're able to use this as a married filing separate opportunity. So let's say that you're a teacher and you are earning $30,000, $40,000 in your, say $40,000 in your first year of teaching, but your spouse earns $150,000. Well, if you do repay, then you have to take into consideration the full 190. Whereas if you do something like pay, then you only have to take, you could actually just take into consideration your income. So it's important to know where what plan you're eligible for and how it could be beneficial to you. And in situations where you're looking at something called public service loan forgiveness, that means that generally speaking, after 10 years of public service, your loan would be forgiven. Anything that's left would be forgiven. And there's really just two types of um, payment methods that would, I shouldn't say two types of payment methods, but there's two programs that that would qualify for. One is the 10 year repayment, which doesn't make sense, right? Because the standard repayment, which is generally 10 years, um, or any of those income driven repayment plans that I mentioned. Now, the organization that you have to work for that's a qualified organization is generally a 501c3 government or school district. And one of the things that we mentioned to people that they should do is there is a form that you should fill out each year and have the organization that you work for sign off on that so that 10 years down the road, you're not having to go back and get prior employers and you can see your progress along the way to make sure that they're properly accounting for your, your payments. Now, 
I say 10 years because technically it's 120, um, sorry, it's 120 qualifying payments. Doesn't have to actually be consecutive. So it could be longer than that, but it's 120 qualifying payments while you're employed by this organization that's considered a nonprofit or um government agency or school district or whatever. So that's why we say 10 years, but technically it could be 11 and, and you have, you know, haven't made the 120 qualifying payments. So that's just something we want to make sure people are educated on. Now we have had a few people ask us, will this program be around? And we believe it will be, but we can never guarantee anything just like, you know, they can change law at any point in time. But we do think that based on history and some of the ways that they've changed things in the past, they would grandfather people in. Well, that wraps it up for those two topics this time on credit scores, credit score factors, and student loans. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you did, please head over and rate us, like us, and share this with your friends. We hope to continue with this education. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear, please feel free to contact us and let us know. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.